It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself, the world with its own needs. Something to your own head, beat it up, and I've seen got no seats. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, the fire, of the gangs, the government for hire in the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury's beating down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the Hour of Doom. And Bloom! Hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, an energetic era of emergence in an egregious world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of DoomandBloom.net, where you'll find over 750, wow, posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. I'm a fossil, I'll admit it, but I've got a fixation, and that's to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife, and I'm also known as Nurse Amy. The hostess with the mostest, the last of the red hot mamas, oh boy. <laughs> Together we are the watchers on the wall, and we watch it all for you to find that silver lining in those storm clouds on the horizon. Friends and neighbors, Romans and countrymen, <laughs> have you been injured in an accident with a mysterious marmot? Our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only, and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. So there. But will you be there to pick up the flag when medical help is not on the way? Well, you can be medically self-reliant enough, I say, to be an asset to your family in times of trouble. I guess you just need a little knowledge, some supplies, a little dedication, Mm -hmm. and you're on your way. So what's the gist, survivalists? We learn as much from you as you do from us. So connect with us. It's easy. So easy. Here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Absolutely. Please feel free to send an email anytime at dr, that's Dr. Dr. Bones Podcast at AOL.com. You can find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. We have a couple of Facebook pages. We have Joe Alton, MD. That's right. Please feel free to... 
be a friend of ours. We also have the pages Doom and Bloom and Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. You can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show to get all the latest updates on articles and videos. And stuff like that. And everything we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) And don't forget our YouTube channel at DR Bones Nurse Amy and our video cast the first and third Wednesday of every month at aroundthecabin.com. And that's a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> it is. As a matter of fact. And we're not done. We've just been invited to do uh, at least two more shows. All right. We'll be traveling the country again this year. Uh, I want you to make sure that you know that we contribute to various articles, uh, various articles to various magazines, that is, uh, like Survival Quarterly, Backwoods Home, Prepare, Survivalists, Survivor's Edge, American <clears throat> Survival Guide, wow, a bunch of different places, as well as in links from over a thousand great preparedness websites throughout the internet. Mm-hmm. Well, in the news, a blizzard dropped 26.8 inches of snow in New York City this weekend, the second highest snowfall there since record keeping began in 1869. The amount was one-tenth of an inch away, one-tenth of an inch away from breaking the all-time record of 26.9 inches set in 2006. Elsewhere in the city, even more snow was falling. John F. Kennedy Airport was walloped with 30 inches. Parts of Brooklyn got 29, and the Bronx Zoo even had 27.6 inches of fresh powder. Snow stopped falling in New York City about, what, 10 o'clock Saturday, but High winds continued to blow snow around as plows took to the streets. Blizzard warnings have been lifted for the tri-state area, thank goodness, by Sunday morning, and a rare travel ban was lifted after police had to respond to almost 600 car crashes in New York and New Jersey directly related to the snow. And that's not counting thousands of airline flights that were canceled as well at the various airports. Now, the unrelenting snowfall did claim the lives of five elderly men, in the New York area, and, and 19 people overall, uh, uh, the police said that all of the men died from the exertion of shoveling snow. This is why old people retire to Florida, ladies and gentlemen. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, man. Nationwide, uh, there were all sorts of mishaps and electrical outages and all sorts of stuff. So all I have to say is that I'd be remiss if we didn't take a minute to talk about how we could have prevented the majority of these deaths from occurring. You know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Mm -hmm. And so you want to prevent death from exposure or hypothermia. You've got to anticipate the climate you're going to be traveling through. That includes wind conditions, wet weather, things like that. You've got to condition yourself physically to be fit for the challenge. It's hard to do that when you're 80 years old. Travel with a partner if you can, and always have enough food and water available for the entire trip. Remember the acronym COLD, C-O-L-D. That stands for cover, overexertion, layering, and dry. Cover, you got to protect your head by wearing a hat. That's going to prevent body heat from escaping from your head. It's got a lot of large surface area. Instead of using gloves to cover your hands, use mittens. Mittens are more helpful because they keep your fingers in contact with each other, so they heat the heat each other. Um... O is for overexertion, C-O-L-D. O is for overexertion. Avoid activities that cause you to sweat a lot. Cold weather causes you to lose body heat quickly. Wet, sweaty clothing accelerates that process. So rest when necessary. Use rest periods to self-assess yourself for cold-related changes. Make sure you pay special attention to the elderly or the very young members in your group and also those that may have chronic medical conditions like diabetes. 
L in COLD is for layering. Loose fitting, lightweight clothing and layers, they do the best job of insulating you against the cold. Use tightly woven water repellent material for wind protection. Now, the, the reason why layers work is because they trap a thin little tiny bit of warm air in between each layer. And so it gives you that insulation. Wool or silk inner layers hold body heat better than cotton does. And some synthetic materials like Gore-Tex, for example, work very well also. Make sure you cover the head, hands, neck, and feet. And D, C-O-L-D, D is for dry. Keep as dry as you can. Get out of wet clothing as soon as you can. It's very easy for snow to get into gloves and boots. Pay particular attention to your hands and feet. Now, one factor that most people don't take into account is the use of alcohol. Aha! Alcohol may give you a very warm, fuzzy feeling, but it actually causes your blood vessels to expand, resulting in more rapid heat loss from the surface of your body. The body reacts to cold by constricting the blood vessels, so expansion from alcohol would negate the body's efforts to stay warm, right? Alcohol and recreational drugs also do something else. They impair your judgment, which might cause people under the influence to choose clothing that might not protect them in cold weather. Now, the diagnosis of hypothermia may be difficult to make, uh, but it is perfectly easy to do if you just have a standard old-timey glass thermometer. That usually doesn't register below 94 degrees. Now, unless you have a thermometer that can measure low ranges, it's difficult to know for certain you're dealing with this problem, but if it's below 94 degrees, you're pretty sure that you've got somebody who's hypothermic. Now, if you encounter anybody who might be unconscious or confused or have mental changes in cold weather and whose temperature doesn't register, well, you know what? They're hypothermic until proven otherwise. Now, immediate action has to be taken to reverse ill effects of hypothermia. Important measures to take are the one to get the person out of the cold, right? And into a warm, dry location. Now, if you're unable to move the person out of the cold, shield them as much as possible, especially between them and the cold ground. Put a barrier between them. Now, take off, old cold, uh, take off wet clothing. If a person is wearing wet clothing, remove them gently. Cover them with layers of dry blankets, including the head, but leave the face clear so you can monitor breathing. Like a person with severe hypothermia could be unconscious. You have to make sure they continue to breathe, check for a pulse, and you'll know when you have to do CPR then. Now, you want to share body heat. You know, you may not be the cuddly type, but, you know, you might have to save a life here. So to warm the person's body, remove your clothing, lie next to them, wrap yourselves both in a blanket after making skin-to-skin contact. Uh, warm oral fluids would work if the person is alert and able to swallow. Now, unfortunately, the issue with hypothermia is that most of the time the brain is working slower. Mm -hmm. So you have to be very careful about that. Don't give oral fluids to somebody who might accidentally take it down the wrong pipe and cause more problems than what you started with. Uh, warm, dry compresses are helpful. Use a first aid warm compress like a fluid-filled bag, a hot water bottle, uh, a makeshift compress of warm, not hot uh, water uh, is also good. Uh, apply this compress only to the neck, chest, or groin because these areas are going to spread the heat much better than putting warm compresses on the extremities. It sometimes worsens the condition, believe it or not. Avoid applying direct heat, though. So that hot water bottle should not go right against the skin. Don't use hot water, a heating pad, or heating lamps on the skin. Uh, the extreme heat can damage <clears throat> the skin, cause strain on the heart, even leads to cardiac arrest in some 
situations. So if left untreated, hypothermia leads to complete failure of various organ systems and to death. People who develop hypothermia due to exposure to cold, they're also vulnerable to other cold-related injuries, such as frostbite and immersion foot. That's something we'll talk about before the winter's over. Well, you know, we had a Mm -hmm. very interesting little discussion on the survival medicine Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy Facebook page. I Uh hope that uh, uh, Facebook group group, that Uh is. I hope you'll join that group if you're on Facebook. And what we did is we decided to pick several different topics and have people vote as to what they thought they would like to have me talk about soon Mm -hmm. and and Nurse Amy talk about soon. And so it turned out that of a number of different worthy topics that top natural remedies actually came in first. And so we're going to talk about that today. And that's sort of important because there are a lot of issues that uh, you, the medic, can handle, I guess, best with the support of the latest technology and modern equipment and hospitals and ICUs and all that stuff. <laughs> and, I mean, let's face it, many, most of these are really indispensable when it comes to dealing with some major medical conditions. But unfortunately, you might not have the resources needed to stockpile a massive medical arsenal in a survival setting. And even if you are able to do so, your supplies only last a certain amount of time. So depending on the amount of people that you are medically responsible for, you are going to be pretty shocked at how quickly medications, other items get used up. So there are tough decisions ahead and you're down to, when you're down to that last box of gauze or a bottle of pain meds. So one solution, of course, is to grossly overstock on that stuff. Not a bad idea, but it's costly and it really doesn't give you a sustainable solution. Even large stockpiles are going to dry up when you're dealing with common injuries and illness on a daily basis. So, all right, also face it, nobody's making medical supplies. No manufacturers are making medical supplies in a really significant disaster or long-term survival scenario. So you can't replace what you've used up. So you got to devise some kind of strategy that's going to allow you to provide medical care for the long run. you got to produce substances that have medical benefits without necessarily having a pharmaceutical factory at your disposal. And there is indeed another option. Those are the plants in your own backyard or, or your garden or your nearby woods. Now you might ask yourself, oh, these guys are medical types. What are they talking <laughs> about plants for? Oh, right. a bunch of plant guys because they're good stuff that's right well it's true we were trained conventionally at large inner city hospitals that's true we have little exposure to natural remedies there we're not herbalists and this is not an herbalism show and it's not stuff we write is not herbalism uh per se but one thing that we have realized is that pharmaceuticals are going to run out and we have to examine alternatives that might have medicinal benefits So let's look a little bit at the history of medicine. You know, physicians have occupied different niches in society over the ages. They were priests. uh, They were slave uh, priests in uh, Egypt. They were slaves in Rome. They were barber surgeons in medieval times. And all of these ancient healers used different methods, but there was one thing they had in common. They knew how to use natural products for medicinal purposes, right? And if something happens and things go south, we're going to have to take advantage of these time-honored remedies, Now, if the medicine man, let's say, needed more of a particular plant than occurred in their native environment, they would cultivate it. They learned to make 
preparations of it in different ways. They made teas of it. They made salves of it. They made tinctures, poultices, all sorts of stuff. And so basically our situation is that we have gone so far in our ability to synthesize medicines that we use them far too often in our treatment of patients. And that's going to be a problem for the medic for two reasons, because you're not producing these anymore in a true disaster, and you lose the knowledge of how to use natural substances as a medical tool. That's bad. And, you know, we are reaching too fast for the prescription pad, I think, nowadays. And even now, some enlightened medical journals call for physicians to focus on prevention instead of intervention. And this is a big, I think, a big step forward for the medical field. I mean, we're challenging the conventional medical wisdom. And guess what? It might just be good for your health. So now let's talk about natural substances. There are, natural substances could be used in home remedies in different ways. For example, teas, a hot drink made by infusing uh, dried or crushed leaves of a plant in boiling water, or even fresh leaves, really. Uh, tinctures, which are extracts made by soaking herbs in a liquid like uh, vinegar or grain alcohol, things like that for a period of time, then straining and discarding the plant material. They also call that a decoction, I believe. Um, essential oils, uh, liquids, these are liquids that are comprised of highly concentrated mixtures of the natural compounds obtained from certain plants. And these are made by a process called distillation. You're distilling essential oils. And the great news about essential oils is that they have very long shelf lives, and that's very useful for the survival medic. Uh, salves, which are uh, semi-solid, viscous uh, ointments and stuff like that that you use on the skin. There are some of these products that you ingest directly, and some of these that you dilute in water, others that you <clears> apply directly <throat> to your skin. There are all sorts of different ways do that. And it's your obligation to obtain a working knowledge of how to use and, yes, maybe even grow these plants. You also have to consider how to produce tinctures, salves, and oils to keep that survival medicine cabinet stocked. So that, I think, is very, very important. Now, as a medical doctor and nurse practitioner, we received, as I've said before, conventional medical training. I mean, but since we became interested in preparedness. We've really explored a lot of alternative methods of healing. And we did this not to replace our education, but as an additional tool. Okay, so remember, nature might be your only pharmacy and your stockpile of medicine will run out and throw you back to a different medical era, an earlier one where regular medications aren't produced. And you gotta have to, you gotta learn the medicinal benefits of plants you can grow in your own garden. Why don't we start with essential oils, because everybody seems to be talking about that. Now, an essential oil is distilled from whole plant material, not a single ingredient. Each one of these oils has multiple compounds that might be medically useful. For example, lavender, English lavender, has about 20 different chemicals. It has uh, esters, it has ketones, it has terpenes, all sorts of stuff. And these combinations of these chemical compounds make each oil unique. You know, by the way, these are chemical compounds. They're made, they are made of chemicals, even though these are natural products. Uh, oils can be produced from different parts of the plant. They can be produced from the leaves, from the flowers, uh, from the bark, from the roots, from the fruit of the plant. The rhizomes. Yep, the rhizomes. <laughs> for, for example, lemon oil comes from the peel. Lavender oil comes from flowers. Cinnamon oil comes from bark. So... 
You probably have been using essential oils all your life in soaps or furniture polishes or deodorants, oint- right? Perfumes, perfumes, things like that. Ointments is a big one, right? All sorts of stuff. Now, essential oils aren't easy to produce without distillery equipment. Although it takes just a few leaves of peppermint to make a tea, you need about five pounds of leaves to make an ounce of essential oil. So this is an issue with regards to essential oil is that it's very hard to make yourself unless you have a distillery. And it takes a lot. One source uh, that I read said it takes 12,000 rose blossoms to make a tablespoon of rose oil. Crazy, baby. That is crazy. All right. So, you know, so you might as well buy these concentrated versions you know, it's funny you're of saying, essential oil. Right. You know, it's funny you're saying that because I have right here an actual, um, I would say you would call it a catalog of some of these oils and you look at the prices of the roses and the oil or even just um, dried herb and the roses the whole buds is $29 a pound and the one right above it is rosemary leaf and that's only $5 a pound I mean that just shows you it just shows you that on on Valentine's Day that (laughs) They, why they give roses instead of rosemary, because very simply, it makes more money for the florists, right? Well, good for you. <laughs> right. Good for you, florists. All right. Well, yeah, well so they the, are prettier. <laughs> yeah. Well, the bottom line is that some plant materials produce a lot of oil and others produce very little. And we have to realize that oils may have different, each oil, even though it may be, each one may be lavender oil, you got two bottles of it and uh, made it. Uh, from different manufacturers or, or even the same manufacturer, the, the strength or quality of oil depends on multiple factors. It includes like soil conditions, the subspecies of the plant it's taken from, the rainfall that year, uh, the time of year, uh, the parts of the plant that's harvested, even the time of day that the plant is harvested may come into it. It's almost like the conditions that determine the quality of a particular vintage of wine. I mean, I guess is really the best way to put it. And it explains the significant variance you'll see in the effects of the same oil, even from year to year, even from the same company, because different, you know, that was a very good year for wine, and it might have been a very good year for lavender oil, or it might have mm-hmm. been a terrible year for lavender oil. Right, right. So you might be surprised also to learn that the Food and Drug Administration only requires 10% essential oil in the bottle to be considered pure essential oil. So That's beware. Horrible. Of claims of FDA certification, there really is no FDA certification or approval process for any of these products. Now, by the way, oils, when essential oils are, when you maybe pour out a drop or two, you'll notice that it doesn't necessarily act like an oil, doesn't look like an oil. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. They're just, that's just what they're called. Now, you can extract essential oils from plants by various methods, and we mentioned using a still, uh, like old-time moonshiners. You, you boil water through, uh, through an amount of plant material to produce a steam, and, the, and that steam travels through these coils that cause condensation into a mixture of oil and water, and that you, you get the oil from that. Now, you can also press oil. For example, if you... Uh, press the rinds of citrus fruit you probably fruit you probably can get some citrus oil lemon oil or things like that things that they use on furnitures and the furniture polishes and things like that and so you would need a press for that 
And that works only if you've got a very oily material, such as, let's say, the skin of an orange or a lemon. Then there's maceration. Maceration uh, is when they combine a, a, what they call a carrier oil, oftentimes olive oil, maybe coconut oil, and they combine it with, with the part of the, of the plant, let's say lavender you're using, exposing that to the sun over time, and it causes a fixed oil to become infused with the essence, quote-unquote, of the plant. Now, uh, in most cases, really, in order to produce these faster, they'll use a heat source of some sort to move the process along. Now, the plant material is added several times, maybe during the process, and it produces a stronger oil by doing that. So if you have seen a product like garlic-infused olive oil, then that's pretty much how that was put together. Uh, you can use solvents like alcohol. Uh, that can be used on some plant parts, usually flowers when they use that, to release an essential oil in a multi-step process that's a little too complex to talk about on this show. Now, as each essential oil has different chemical compounds, it stands to reason the medicinal <clears throat> benefits of each are also different, right? And sure enough, their herbalism is an entire alternative medical discipline to find that which finds basically the appropriate oil for a condition that might need treatment. And the ways that you actually administer these oils are actually various. I mean, you can inhale them. Inhalation therapy uh, could be aromatherapy, in which you just have the, the room, the entire room, uh, uh, pervaded with the, the fragrance of the oil. Or you can use direct inhalation therapy, which is probably a little more... Um, material conservative you you put a two or three drops of essential oil on your hands you rub them together and you inhale uh, the other way you can do that is by using steam you add a few drops of essential oil into a boil of steaming water distilled or sterilized please and then you inhale it now to do this and really get the most benefit you probably should put a towel over your head so you can catch all the vapors now many people will place essential oils in potpourri use a diffuser and just spread the aroma between you and I do direct inhalation therapy or steam inhalation therapy. I would prefer that. Now, uh, of course, you can apply it on your skin. The skin's an amazing absorbent surface, and using essential oils by direct application is a very popular way to administer it. Uh, the oil may be used as part of a massage or directly placed on the skin uh, on an area where there's a rash or things like that. We should probably always test for allergic reactions before using an essential oil in this matter. Take one drop and just put it on the inside of your forearm and see if you become irritated by it or itchy or a rash forms as a result. Um, I also want to mention if you are using uh, essential oils, um, use them very lightly at first. You don't want to inhale a whole bunch of an essential oil and then just come to find out that, you know, you don't do well with it and you get dizzy or you just don't feel well. Uh, so use a, a little bit at first, whether it's going to be topical or inhalation. And then, again, add more as you feel better. Make sure that when you first use it that you're in a well-ventilated area because otherwise you might get more of the oil and the, the smell into your nose than you would have otherwise in a, in a outside, let's say, you know. So make sure it's well ventilated, a window's open, so you're not just stuck in a room with this smell and you start feeling unwell. Now, some people believe that you can ingest these oils, or you'll be you'll see companies that recommend that. But between you and I, I think that you better use professional guidance before you consider 
doing that because sometimes this may have some adverse effects. Absolutely. Um, I, I wouldn't recommend uh, anything but maybe a handful of them, and you guys really should look them up. I mean, maybe a drop of, of peppermint oil on a toothbrush with your baking soda and your hydrogen peroxide uh, to brush your teeth. You're not actually swallowing it. You're using it in your mouth, and then you're rinsing your mouth and washing them out. So there's very few oils that could ever be safely recommended for internal use. And I just want to mention the purity of one company that I've used, and um, they're, I, I think they're, they're wonderful. They don't advertise with me or anything, and I'm not making any money off of this, uh, but Mountain Rose Herbs, I have... Um, spoken with the people who actually um, take care of working with these herbs and in the company they are uh, very reputable and their oils are all pure steam distillation of freshly harvested they will tell you whether they are organic organic they'll tell you uh, how they were harvested even if they were wild crafted or if they were cultivated they'll tell you if they have any gmos and um, the other ones that are not um, pure steam distillations, which are the citrus oils, those citrus oils are, are generally cold-pressed. So that's how Mountain Rose Herbs makes their oils. And they're very upfront from, from not only what you're going to find in them, but where they came from, so that you actually know the, the country. And they have a couple of rose oils mentioned and there are two countries that they come from. And so you understand, you know, that your patchouli came from Sri Lanka and your peppermint is coming from Hungary. Hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's very helpful to know these things. And so I feel that they really give the best detailed information on each oil that they're selling. And I, I highly recommend for purity and clarity of what you're getting uh, look at mountain rose herbs now you may ask well why is or why aren't these essential oils being produced by pfizer or johnson and johnson or squib <laughs> pharmaceuticals or things like that they've been used for a very long time right but you know what it's difficult to provide definitive evidence of their effectiveness or standardize them in any way essential oils can't be standardized because they vary in the quality of the product based on soil conditions and the things we mentioned before. Well, it's just like trying to um, patent or get a copyright on a, a particular wine. Each grape is different. Right. Just like each plant is different. And so you can't say, this wine right here is only ever going to be produced by us. Because the next bottle of wine sitting right next to it with the same label may be just slightly different. True that. And it could be a sub different subspecies of the same plant. You never know. Uh, also, in experiments that universities perform, they <clears throat> want to be able to standardize a result. since Because of all these different things or different chemicals that are chemical compounds that are e in each essential oil hundreds sometimes thousands right. by the way <laughs> the question is what ingredient caused a particular effect and sometimes that can right. be identified and sometimes it can't and sometimes what i believe is it's just a combination of everything together right 
It's not, it's not just one thing, but it's them working in harmony within your body. So there's that, of course. Uh, most of these companies are either cosmetics or food industry companies. And uh, these definitive studies of medicinal benefit, they're difficult to do when you have a commercial enterprise behind it. I mean, usually, if there are a few options in patenting a particular product, you can't patent lavender. You know, then they have little interest in actually I'm putting sure they would herbal love to products try. together. They would love to try. They I'm would sure. love to try. All right. Well, there are a lot of different <clears throat> essential oils. And why don't we talk about just a few of them that we consider some of our favorites that that would be good. I think lavender oil is good. It's an analgesic, an antiseptic. It, it stimulates the immune system. Might be good for skin care and to promote healing, mm-hmm. especially in burns and bruises and scrapes, things like that. Uh, it has been used for insomnia, stress, and depression uh, by in, as aromatherapy. And some people say that it, it's good for seam inhalation and as a decongestant as well. There's um, eucalyptus oil. Uh, eucalyptus oil is an antiseptic, an antiviral. It's a decongestant. And by the way, a good insect repellent as well. <laughs> <laughs> you had mentioned, though, that lavender was an antiseptic too. Also, yes. yes, good. I'm reading as you're speaking. Oh, Yes, okay. I'm studying other things. All right. So eucalyptus oil aids with uh, respiratory issues. Uh, it can boost the immune system. It might be useful for colds and flus, sore throats, things like that. So I think that's pretty useful. And it's also pretty versatile, too. It can be used in massages, steam inhalation, or even as an additive in the bath. Uh, Maluka oil, tea tree oil, is what people know that as, tea tree. And... Uh, if it's diluted in a carrier oil like coconut oil, something like that, it, it may be good for athlete's foot, uh, acne, skin wounds, insect bites. It might have an antifungal, antibacterial effect. Um, in inhalation therapy, it might relieve respiratory congestion. There have been studies performed which find it might be effective against staph, staph and fungal infections as well. So that's an option. Remember that this is strong stuff. It could be toxic if you use it in high concentrations around sensitive areas like the eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, peppermint oil. Now, this oil is has a lot of therapeutic effects. <laughs> and we can't possibly cover them all. I'm right. sure you guys will think of other things that right. we didn't mention. Right, of course. <laughs> Antiseptic, uh, antibacterial, decongestant. It may help stop vomiting. It's good for irritable uh, bowel syndrome, abdominal cramping, a lot of digestive disorders peppermint oil is good for. Uh, some herbalists prescribe uh, peppermint for headache by massaging a, a drop or two to the temples. So these are some things that might be helpful, that peppermint oil might be helpful for. Uh, Lemon oil, of course, uh, often used in furniture cleaners, but many Mm -hmm. seem to think this has uh, a disinfectant action. Some people think it's good enough to sterilize water. I don't believe that is effective for that. No, Uh, it's not. Right. The the smell of lemon oil, just the aroma of lemon oil is thought to have a calming effect. And, And so much so that some businesses claim to have better results from their employees when they use it as aromatherapy. So how about that? Now, one thing about lemon oil is don't apply this oil to your skin if you're going to be exposed to the sun because it increases the likelihood of burns. Clove oil. Now, this is clove oil awesome is, stuff. is awesome. It's got not only antiviral and anti antiseptic, antifungal uh, properties, but it's also an analgesic. It stops pain. It could be an anesthetic from a dental standpoint. 
It's mar marketed, as a matter of fact, as something called Eugenol, E-U-G-E-N-O-L, to dentists throughout the world as a natural painkiller for toothaches. And so that is, I think, pretty pretty awesome. If you have sensitive teeth, you can take baking soda and a drop of clove oil, use that to brush your teeth. Uh, it makes an e excellent temporary dental cement if you mix it with zinc oxide powder for like lost fillings, maybe loose crowns. And but I'll only put it on the teeth because it irritates the gums if too much is applied. Right. Uh, Arnica. Arnica oil is awesome. It's used as a topical <clears throat> agent for muscle injuries and aches. It works on me very, very well, I have to say. <laughs> it's anti-inflammatory, analgesic, found in a number of sports ointments. And I think that it's pretty awesome. Do not inhale and do not ingest Arnica oil. Right. It's not for internal use That's at right. all. And not for open wounds either. That's right. Exactly right. Chamomile oil. Um, there are a couple of different types. There's Roman chamomile, German chamomile. Mm -hmm. And these are both used to treat skin conditions like eczema as well as irritations due to allergies. Chamomile oil is thought to decrease gastrointestinal inflammation and irritation. A tummy, tummy soother and uh, I think is an excellent oil as well. Geranium oil is uh, thought to help with acne. So it, it's pretty good. Some people feel that it also helps with uh, blood clotting problems uh, for very small cuts or for bruising. Don't use it if you're on a blood thinner. Uh, and it may be useful for head lice if you use it in a shampoo. There's helichrysum. Helichrysum is thought to be a great analgesic, anti-inflammatory. It's used to treat arthritis, tendonitis, carpal tunnel, even fibromyalgia as part of massage therapy. And it may even be helpful for chronic skin irritations. There's rosemary oil. Rosemary oil is, uh, has multiple uses. It's an anti-parasitic, which is interesting. Now, rosemary is also great for your garden. When you put it in your garden, it, it, some pests that don't like the strong aroma of it will stay away from your other plants. So you can use um, a few drops of water as a, a disinfectant gargle. Uh, inhalation, uh, either cold or steam inhalation, might relieve uh, congested or a tightened respiration and it may be helpful for headaches as well. There's sage oil. One of the clary sage particularly has a composition similar to estrogen and has been used to treat menstrual irregularities and PMS and other hormonal issues. Some people have thought of using it as a blood thinner as well. It has a mild anticoagulant effect and may even have a sedative effect. could be used as a calming agent. Now, neem oil is one of our favorites. Uh, the neem tree is referred to as a village pharmacy in its mm -hmm. native India. And a lot of Ayurvedic, uh, Indian traditional medicine remedies come uh, with <clears throat> neem oil in them. It, it's a great organic pesticide. We use the neem oil mostly in our vegetable mm -hmm. garden. But re the reported medicinal benefits seem to cover about every organ system if you read about it in Ayurvedic uh, books. But... From our standpoint, think of it as a great organic pesticide, and that will help you survive because your plants will do well. Uh, there's wintergreen oil, which has uh, natural salicylates, or basically uh, aspirin-like compounds. It, it, it's a proven anticoagulant, analgesic, and uh, they say that one fluid ounce of wintergreen oil is the equivalent of 171 aspirin tablets if you ingest it. So be very careful with this stuff. So and don't I would not ingest do that. It. Do not ingest <laughs> it. That's right. Uh, and do not. Frankincense oil is another, uh, one of the earliest documented essential oils. Of course, you know of it in the Bible. It uh, goes back to ancient Egypt. 
Uh, it's the incense that's used during religious ceremonies, uh, uh, as many Catholics will uh, attest. Mm-hmm. And there are studies from pretty major universities like John, Johns Hopkins that state that frankincense, frankincense relieves anxiety and depression in animal studies. Now, how do they determine an animal is depressed? I'd like to know <laughs> that. Um, or anxious. How much they wag their tail, maybe? I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, there's always something. I'm sure there's some way that they figured it out. Um, uh, Frankincense may have antibacterial, antifungal properties. It's thought to be helpful for wound healing. So um, there's oregano oil. Oregano oil is an antibacterial agent, and it seems like uh, it's actually one of the few essential oils that is thought to be okay to ingest in small quantities. Uh, it's helpful in calming stomach upset, might mm-hmm. help relieve sore throats. Uh, it has been used in topical applications like ointments on skin infections when they dilute it with a carrier oil. Mm-hmm. And so that's another one. You have thyme oil. Uh, thyme oil is uh, another antimicrobial uh, oil, and it can help with skin infections, may be good for ringworm, athlete's foot, and it may relieve congestion from upper respiratory infections. Now, every one of these oils I mentioned is just one oil, but so many of these essential oils are marketed as some kind of blend. And maybe the most popular of these is thieves oil. Right. And thieves oil is a combination of clove, lemon, cinnamon, bark, eucalyptus, and rosemary essential oils. It's a whole mixed bag. And it's touted to treat a broad variety of ailments. And sure enough, uh, studies at Weber State University indicate a good success rate in killing airborne viruses and bacteria. How about that? Of course, the more elements in the mixture, the higher ch- the chance for adverse reactions. Uh, one that you might get with these oil is phototoxicity, which means that exposure to the sun causes you to get burned very easily. So anyhow, those are some of our favorite essential oils and uh, some important caveats to the list that we just mentioned we have to say that most of these are not safe to use in pregnancy. They may even cause miscarriage, some of them. Uh, allergic reactions to essential oils, especially on the skin, aren't uncommon, so you should test before starting a regular topical application. Very important. Now, even though essential oils are natural substances, they can interact with medicines mm-hmm. that you may regularly take or have adverse effects on chronic illness, such as liver disease or epilepsy or high blood pressure. So you've got to do a lot more research than just listening to the show to determine whether a particular essential oil is safe for you. Right. Take, for instance, the blood pressure issue. Some of them lower blood pressure, but others raise it, which is the last thing you want if you're taking a blood pressure medicine is to use an oil thinking you're doing yourself some good and end up harming yourself because you're counteracting your blood pressure medicine and raising your blood pressure. Right. So... Basically, essential oils are a viable option in a lot of conditions. Uh, Anyone interested in maintaining their family's well-being should regard them as just another weapon in the arsenal. Keep an open mind about them, but maintain a healthy skepticism about any cure-all claims. Absolutely. Okay, just varying off the topic of essential oils, I just want to talk about a, a specific issue that an herb would be great for, and that is during eye care. A lot of people have issues with getting foreign objects in their eye, and you can actually use an eye wash made from herbal teas to 
wash out the foreign object and to help prevent an infection. And one of those teas is chamomile. So you can use a chamomile tea. I would use a tea bag in one cup of water and make sure it's a nice strong solution. And you can use an eye cup. You put the place the cooled off tea, not when it's still hot, the cooled off tea in the eye cup and use it as an eye wash. Now, if you already have pink eye or you woke up in the morning, your eyes are crusted over, it's difficult to open them because there's so much um, junk. Um, yuck. Yuck. <laughs> crustiness. Um, there's official words for that, like exudate. But anyway, basically what happens is your eye weeps and it oozes overnight and then that dries in your eyelashes and it's very difficult to open. You may also see reddening in the whites of your eyes. Uh, you may look very bloodshot. Your eye might feel like there's grains of sand in it. And it might be very painful. So, so those are some of the signs. And itching. Itching is another big sign of pink eye. So if you think you have pink eye and you can't or um, are unable to get to the doctor at the moment, you can try to just wet that chamomile tea bag and apply it to the eye, the affected eye, for 10 minutes every two hours. Uh, you can also make an, a tea, the chamomile tea, as strong again like we said and put that on the eye as a compress put it on a washcloth put it on um, some gauze and you know let it sit there for again 10 minutes every couple of hours uh, and alternatively to chamomile honey we've talked about before is a wonderful medicine and you can mix one tablespoon of honey to two cups of warm water. You're going to use warm water at first because it will help dissolve it. Let that cool down a little bit. And again, use it as a compress or also as the eye wash we talked about. So these are just some other things that you might be able to use herbal medicine for. It's for eye care. Hey, it's time to say a great big thank you to all the great networks that carry our show, especially the Prepper Broadcasting Network, the USA Emergency Broadcasting Network, Survival Central Radio, Shake and Wake Radio, and AroundTheCabin.com. Of course, you can listen to our archive podcast whenever you want just by going to blogtalkradio.com. You'll find, geez louise, probably 250 of them there over the course of the last few years. Uh, of course, we want to thank our listeners for their kind words and support for our mission, which is to put a medically prepared person in every family. And thanks for filling those holes in your medical storage by checking out our entire line of medical kits and supplies at Nurse Amy's shop. That's store.doomandbloom.net. And Nurse Amy is still offering free shipping, right? Yes. Oh, my God. You are crazy. <laughs> Until an unknown finish. And I do have an expiration date on that. Did you mention my new bleeding kit? Nope, we will have to do that. Yes. And we'll do Coming that. Coming very, like, in the next day or so. Oh, well. I am finalizing our internal instructions. There's instructions on the outside of this packaging, but I am getting waterproof paper, and I'm making picture and written instructions step-by-step step so that no one can be confused as to what to do to save someone's life if they are hemorrhaging. And this is your response to active shooter situations, yes. ter terrorist shootings, for schools, for businesses, and all sorts yep. of stuff. 
first aid bleeding control kit. Absolutely. Okay, well, thank you very much for that. Now, for long-term storage, essential oils are probably some of the best natural products in the American stockpile. However, producing new supplies of them, as I mentioned before, that's another story. If you don't have a distillery equipment, then you basically, and a huge amount of plant material, you're probably not going to make a lot of essential oil in a true survival setting. And so a more realistic option then for sustainable herbal medicines is probably using fresh or dried plant material in teas. Now these require a little more than a garden and some knowledge regarding each herb. Now you might be surprised to know that the term tea is incorrect. The word actually refers to the varieties of drink made from the leaves of only one species, Camellia sinensis. Now that's right, green, black, white, and oolong teas are all made from the same plant, only the processing differs. How about that? The proper term for a drink made by steeping herbs in hot water that are not of that species would be an herbal infusion, or sometimes they call it something called a tisane, T-I-S-A-N-E. For simplicity's sake, though, we're still going to call them teas, so don't worry. Now, now, standard teas from Camellia sinensis, like green, black, white, and oolong, are high in antioxidants. They have many health benefits that are ascribed to them, and that includes heart disease and type 2 diabetes, liver dysfunction, or just a lot. And so you should have some regular tea in your uh, medical storage, in addition to some herbal teas. Now, making a tea is going to be one of the simplest ways to prepare medicinal herbs. And if you can just boil water, you can brew tea. Just bring some water to a roiling boil in a pot or other container. I, don't, I doubt anyone here has not made a tea, but here, here we go. Crush the herb leaves and or flowers. The more aromatic the herbs are, the more potent they usually are. You pour boiled water over a teaspoon of the herbs. You let it steep for about five or ten minutes. You keep a cover on, by the way, while they're steeping. And unless you're using a tea bag or a tea bob where you put the actual dried herbs in and just stick that in the water, you place a strainer over a cup and then you pour. And using a little lemon, using a little honey with it will often help the flavor of some teas that aren't particularly known to be so tasty. Now, the tea does not have to be ingested to be of benefit. Uh, Amy just told you about pink eye. Uh, they can be used as an eye wash, uh, an irrigation solution for wounds in some cases. They can be in cold or warm compresses. So there are some really awesome teas that we have. And there are lots of different herbs that can be made into a tea. And we're going to talk about them next week. Aha. And so we're going to be talking about herbal teas next week. And we'll go into our list of about 20 of what we think are the best teas, what they're good for, and how to produce them. And we'll tell you what parts of the plant to use because that's probably a good idea because sometimes you use the root, sometimes you use the leaves, sometimes you use the flowers. So they do differ dependent upon what actual herb we're talking about. But they have, they're easy to use on the go. They're terrific from, from that standpoint. Um, you have to remember that you need something as a medic that you can make into medicine easily, even while you're on the move. And these herbal teas, I think, fit the bill. Plus, 
A lot of these plants are growable in your own backyard. We'll talk maybe a little bit about the medicinal garden next time. We have a lot to talk about. I remember we had a a few weeks ago a podcast that we were not in town. We had to rely on a on the generosity of another person's computer, but the microphone was terrible. So we're going to be talking about dental issues also. So lots of information coming up in the near future that's going to help you increase your chance for survival in tough times. This has been Joe Alton, MD, for Nurse Amy at the Survival Medicine Hour. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Joe Alden, MD of www.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 600 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness. Along with my wife, nurse practitioner Amy Alden, we're the authors of the Amazon bestseller, The Survival Medicine Handbook, with over 200 five-star reviews. A disaster can strike at any time, and the ambulance may not always be heading in your direction. We've got an entire line of medical kits, supplies, and educational resources that can help you deal with injuries and illness and everything from a wilderness hike to the aftermath of a major disaster. Check them out at our shop at store.doomandbloom.net. In a disaster, you'll be glad you did.